Well, good morning, everybody. And again, welcome this morning to Centerpoint Bible Church. I'm glad you're here today. We've started in December. Can you believe today is December 1? It's just kind of shocking to me how quickly everything went by. And I want to just echo something Pastor Billy talked about, and that is the opportunities that, that this month represents. I want to point to the December 24th night. That would be Christmas Eve. Thanks, Ryan. Our Christmas Eve service. And some of our, some of our largest um, attendance days have been in the month of December. And so take advantage of these opportunities and, and use them to point people to Jesus Christ in His Word. Um, the 24th will be a great opportunity. You know, one of the things that we've done many times over the years is, is have a children's program, and we're not going to be able to do that this year just with the, all the, the back and forth with being here at Faith and over at Spring Mills and all the Bard facility and everything. So, so parents... Your children often would invite friends and family and relatives out when we would have a children's program. Listen, you need to encourage them to do that this year for the candlelight service. That's a great way for you to teach your kids at 5, 6, 7, 8, or 15, 16, 17 years of age to have a heart for people who need the Lord. And so December 24th, 7 o'clock, looking forward to to an evening where we will... Again, point people to Jesus Christ in His Word. And we'll do it that night with a, with a candlelight service. Would you have some turkey this week? I trust that you did. Today we're going to talk some more about Thanksgiving. And um, I, I really believe that this morning, along with last week, is, is some of the most needed message that, that is needed right now in, in our culture. Um, and so I want to talk today about Thanksgiving and remind you what we dealt with last week, and that was the reality that true thankfulness is awakened in an unpayable debt forgiven. That was our theme last week. And, and this week, again, we're going to build upon that and talk about Thanksgiving. You know, people wonder who to thank. People struggle with this in the culture around us. If If you listen with your heart and with your mind, you will hear people wrestling over who to thank. You remember doing sword drills when you were a kid? How many of you remember doing that, doing sword drills? Okay. I've got a reverse sword drill, all right? I'm going to read a passage to you, and let's see who can identify the, the, the book, the chapter, and the verse. Okay? Now, don't answer out loud, all right, because you don't want to embarrass yourself, all right? But, but can you identify this passage? Ready? I'll read it. Who can take the sunrise, sprinkle it with dew, cover it with chocolate, and a miracle or two? Who can take the rainbow, wrap it in a sigh? Soak it in the sun and make a lemon pie. Who can take tomorrow? Dip it in a dream. Separate the sorrow and collect all the cream. The candy man can. The candy man can. The candy man can because he mixes it with love and makes the world taste good. Can you identify it? Anybody? Isaiah, what, 38? Is that what it is? Is that what it is? Psalm 27. Yeah, yeah, that's what it is. Hezekiah 4, 9? No. 
That is Sammy Davis Jr., okay? 1972, when he was singing this hit, it was his only number one song that Sammy Davis Jr. had. It was actually written for the movie Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory in 1971. And if you listen to it, it is, it is mankind seeking someone to thank. And in this song, it's the Candyman, but it's not just 1971, 1972, a silly movie, okay? That's not all it is. I'm watching, about a year ago, I was going through a pretty rough time. My wife and I, my wife and I stayed home for like three weeks. She took care of me as I convalesced after surgery. And um, one of the things we watched was Alone. You ever watch the History Channel Alone series? Man, I love that. I tell you what, that's some good TV right there. In season three, there was a young lady named Callie. She was from Washington State, and she identified herself as a modern-day hippie, okay? And one day, she was very, very hungry. If you're not familiar with this show, what happens is people get thrown out in the woods alone, and they have to survive, okay? And Callie was very, very hungry, and on this day, she, she did the most magnificent thing. She caught a fish. And if you've ever watched the show, that's a big moment when they catch a fish because there's like 12 or 24 contestants and they, you know, they, they give up over hunger and cold and, and so forth. But on this day, Callie caught a fish. And we're watching this and she picks the fish up out of the water and she looks at it and I think, oh, she's going to pray. She's going to thank the Lord. No, she thanked the fish. She said, Oh, thank you, fish, for giving your life for me. And she thanked the fish that she was going to consume it. Do you know this person, Marie Kondo? Do you know her? Anybody anybody recognize that name? Am I saying that right? Okay. From Tidying Up. So she, she encouraged people to go through their house and declutter and all that. And what does she have you do? Pick up every item. Oh, thank you, clock, for the joy that you brought me, right? Isn't that what she does? We, we know implicitly, we know that we should thank. But we don't know how to, naturally. And more important than that, we don't know who to, naturally. I do want to actually read from the Bible today, okay, from an Isaiah passage. It's not the one we're going to study this morning, but... But listen to what Isaiah wrote in 740 B.C. about the silliness of mankind. This is Isaiah 44, verses 13 through 17. Just listen. You might write the reference down, 44, 13 through 17. Listen to what Isaiah wrote. The carpenter stretches a line. He marks it out with a pencil. He shapes it and planes it and marks it with a compass. He shapes it into the figure of a man and the beauty of a man that dwells in a house. He cuts down cedars and he chooses a cypress tree or an oak and he lets it grow strong among the trees of the forest. He plants the cedar and the rain nourishes it. He cuts it down. He takes part of it and he warms himself. He kindles a fire. He bakes bread. And then he makes the rest into a god and he worships it. He falls down before of it. Half of it he burns in the fire. Over the half he eats meat. He roasts and is satisfied and warms himself. And he says, ah, I am warm. I have seen the fire. And the rest of it he makes into a god, his idol, and falls down to it and worships it and prays to it and says, deliver me 
for you are my God. Listen, in us, we are designed as worshipers. You were made to worship. You were designed to see the glory of God and to praise Him and to worship Him. It's what you were made for. Nothing else will ever satisfy. That is your design. That is your model. That is what you were designed to do. You were modeled after God. He alone is to be worshipped. And so when we busy ourselves with, with giving thanks or giving worship to anything else, it falls short. Listen to Romans 1.21. Speaking about people who don't know God, who deny God, it says, For although they knew God, they knew that He existed, that is, They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Many of you are familiar with the words of Paul in the last book that he wrote of 2 Timothy. As he's literally laying in prison waiting to have his head removed in capital punishment. He writes out his last words to his disciple Timothy and warns him of what would come, of what it looks like when a culture and a people turn from the living God. Hear how Paul described it. He said, understand this, in the last days there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, Proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, unholy. And listen to this last one. Ungrateful. That's the mark of a pagan mind. That's the mark of a godless existence. Thankless ungrateful, not even cry out thankfulness to God. Last week we looked backwards. We looked backwards in your spiritual journey. And we talked about that true thankfulness is awakened. It's awakened in our hearts and in our spirits at an unpayable debt forgiven. And we looked at the woman who came to Jesus' feet and bowed before them and washed her feet with her tears and anointed him with oil and cried out in in thankfulness and gratitude that she had been forgiven. And Jesus said the person who loves little or has been forgiven little loves little. And so we said one way to increase our thankfulness and our love is to increase our awareness of our sin debt. And so we said true thankfulness is looking back on your life before Christ, your natural state, and recognizing how much you've been forgiven. Just remind you, this doesn't mean that you've done every nasty thing that is possible. But what it does mean 
is that you are capable, outside of Christ, before Christ, you are capable of any sin that you can conceive of. Before Jesus, it's what you naturally did. You were born as a disobedient child, a a child of wrath. And so though you may have not have committed every sin that you could conceive, you were capable of any sin that you could conceive of. That is the unpayable debt that you and I have been forgiven. And that's where true thankfulness is awakened. But what I want to do today is I want to sustain it. I want to sustain this thankfulness. I want it to, I want it to, to persevere. I want it to continue I want us to leave here grateful. I want us to leave here overwhelmed with what God has done. And so we've awakened thankfulness. Now I want to preserve it. I want us to leave here remembering this truth, that eternal thankfulness. So this lasts into eternity. We looked back last week. We're looking forward today to your future. Eternal thankfulness is preserved. It lasts. It doesn't fade. It doesn't spoil. In an unmerited gift given. We're going to find that today in Luke chapter 17. Last week it was Luke 7. Today it's Luke 17. So if you want to increase your thankfulness, go to the Gospel of Luke 7. And 17, and read through these passages as we, as we contemplate what God has done. Last week, we, our thankfulness, I trust, poured out of us over who we were, who we were before Jesus. Today, our thankfulness will pour out of us over who we now are. We're thankful over who we were But now we're going to have our thankfulness increase over who we now are. Luke 17. We are going to now flash forward into the present tense and into the future tense as we consider what God has done in our lives. Luke 17. We're going to jump into verse number 11. After we read it, we'll we'll catch ourselves up on the context a little bit. We're going to study now together through verse number 19. So read along with me. Let's see what it says here. On the way to Jerusalem. We're going to talk about what's going to happen there in just a moment. But on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he, being Jesus, was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance. And they lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, Jesus said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, just one, One of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, 
praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet. This is the second week in a row that we've looked at a person lying at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now, Luke records, he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, We're not ten cleansed. Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. I want to say something before we get into the, into the text here. Just, just a, a small textual note about verse number 19. Let me read to you literally what it says because unfortunately the translation here is off a little bit, okay? And you can see it in the text note of your Bible. Literally what Jesus said is this. And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has saved you. So tear where we get salvation. Your faith has saved you. Classic story of Jesus. Ten lepers healed. Only one returns to say thanks. I mean, this is one that every single Sunday school paper covered. Every child's curriculum when you were growing up in Sunday school, they talked about this one. And and at the end of it, Likely when you were in third, fourth, or fifth grade, and I'm not saying this is necessarily wrong, but at the end of it, you told the small children to make sure you go home and thank your mommy for for lunch, right? And that's kind of how we sort of diffuse this. As, As a good old American young boy or girl, you be thankful now. Americans are thankful. So you go home and you be thankful. And I think what's happened is a lot of people have heard this kind of talk, that we should just be thankful, and they don't really know who to thank. They don't know what to thank for. So we thank the fish, or we thank the shirt, or we thank the clock, or we thank the candy man, okay? I mean, we'll thank somebody. we got to thank someone, because I know we're supposed to. But who is it that we should thank that will eternally last? Who is it that we should thank in the revelation of our new identity. Pagan people thank fish. Pagan people thank clocks. Pagan people thank the candy man. Pagan people thank their mother for lunch. New creatures thank God for their new identity. That's what we are to take away from this. In eternal thankfulness, in eternal thankfulness, is, it's preserved, it's held, it holds, it reveals salvation, eternal salvation, when it flows from an unmerited gift received. All right, let's walk through this together, Okay. First of all, let's, let's talk about this journey to Jerusalem. We, we have to understand the context here. Jesus' journey to Jerusalem. In verse number 11, it says, on the way to Jerusalem. So what's happening here, 
from Luke 9.51 through the end of the Gospel of Luke. Okay, that's like over 10 chapters. What's happening is Luke is recording the journey that Jesus left on to go towards Jerusalem. In Luke 9.51, it says that Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem. He set his face towards Jerusalem, and off he went, knowing there was a cross ahead for him. This event is probably just a matter of just a couple weeks before Jesus comes to the cross. He's on his way to Jerusalem, where he will give his life for us. You may wonder, what's going through his mind? What's on his heart? As he presses on towards Jerusalem, knowing what is ahead, he's told his disciples, I will be betrayed, that that the, the Gentiles will take me and they will kill me, and I will rise from the grave. He's told his disciples that. So what's on his mind? We actually get a little bit of a hint. Luke reveals it as he prays in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, if it would be your will, take this cup from me. He knows what is ahead. But our Savior, even though he's on a mission, even though the cross is ahead of him, He's moved with compassion and he's moved with mercy because he is a good, good father. And though life may be pressing on him in this moment, his heart still breaks for these few. He passes along, verse number 11, between Samaria and Galilee. Now, I don't want to get too bogged down with the geography here. But let me just mention here that a good Jewish rabbi should never pass through Samaria, but Jesus does because Jesus was always on a mission. And what likely this meant is he's passing now from, let's see, east to west across the region between the Galilee and the north, Samaria here, sort of along the border, ministering as he goes along the way. That's what that probably means. And he comes to a village the difference between a village and a city in this time basically was a wall. A city was a walled enclosure. A village was not. It's just small little details because what really happens, what really is important is who he encounters. He encounters 10 lepers. 10 lepers. Now, the word leprosy is something we're going to talk about in some detail in just a moment here. Basically, this means that there was these 10 individuals that had a skin condition. We'll deal with that in just a minute. What we need to understand, though, is these 10 individuals are there living in the desert, in the wild. You, you're familiar with leper colonies. Most of you have probably seen Ben-Hur, okay? You remember that scene at the end? Ah, no, no, don't look at me. Remember that whole scene of the lepers, okay? But what happens is these individuals pull off from society because of the religious rules that were, were placed upon them. And they retreated from society outcast. A few years ago, it'll happen again in different regions of the world. Ebola crisis will, will, hit, will, will spark up and, and there'll, be a, there'll be a sort of panic in the media, a panic in the world over, over Ebola. And people who have Ebola will be quarantined. That's very much like what leprosy was in that day. It's a terminal disease. 
hopeless disease that results in social and religious separation. It's devastating what happens. Honestly, you're, you're living, waiting to die. And they stood at a distance and they lifted up their voices and they said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on me. I want to talk about leprosy a little bit because we need, we need to inform this passage because we don't fully understand what all this really means. So let's try to culturally understand what, what these individuals are going under. So just kind of go back with me a little bit, all right? I know those that don't enjoy history, maybe this might sound a little scary to you, but that's okay, just a few moments, okay? To think about leprosy and what that, what that meant in that day. So the word leprosy is a disease, okay? And where we get our word leprosy is a transliteration of the Greek word. When you say leprosy, you're actually saying a Greek word. Hmm, interesting. So the word leprosy is just, it's the name given to a disease that we don't understand. We don't understand it. And so when the translators tried to communicate what it was, they were like, as they looked at the original Bible, as they looked at the original manuscripts, they're like, we don't know what this disease even is. We don't know what it is. So let's just take the letters from the Greek word and just go L-E-P-R-O-S-Y and we'll call it leprosy. There. That's where the word leprosy comes from. It's an unknown disease. We do not know what it is today. Now there's a similar disease called Hansen's disease that is found in some third world countries where, where literally the, the, the ears and the nose and the fingers and the toes will, will rot off. But there's strong, there's strong inclination in the Bible that that's not exactly what this disease is. 68 times in the Bible, 55 in the Old Testament, 13 in the New. It literally means the, word, the, the Hebrew word that we translate to the Greek word leprosy literally means scaly or scabby. It's kind of gross, isn't it? When the Bible described a leprous woman, Miriam, her arm was covered with leprosy. You'll find this in Exodus chapter 4. It says that her arm looked like snow. White. A lot, a lot of scholars believe that maybe this is kind of sort of like a psoriasis type of a disease or, or maybe a mold that lived on the skin, untreated, very few medical advances, so there'd be very little treatment, and it would spread over the body, tormenting the person that's struck by this disease. Not only are they physically tormented, but they are tormented in the society because it was very contagious, apparently. And I know this is gross, but flakes of skin would come off of an individual at such a level that it would make clothing or even a house uninhabitable. And even worse than that, in this Jewish society, if you had leprosy, you could not worship you could have no interaction with any person who was not leprous. And when you were 50 yards away, in the way that we measurement distances today, when you were 50 yards away, you had to cover your upper lip 
or literally the mustache, strange, I know, had to cover the upper lip and shout out, unclean, unclean, unclean. This is how Leviticus explains it should be handled. Matter of fact, go with me to Leviticus chapter 13. Leviticus chapter 13. Look at verse number 45. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Leviticus 13. Verse 45 and 46. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and the hair of his head hang loose and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Now, I'll just be honest with you. I do not fully understand this disease. I do not fully understand God's response to it, but I don't have to. I don't have to fully understand it. I know what Scripture says, but let me tell you a little bit more that might reveal what God was doing. Look over at Leviticus chapter 14. Notice what it says. 14, verse number 1, The Lord spoke to Moses and said, This shall be the law of the leprous person for the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall go out of the camp, and the priest shall look. Then, if the case of the leprous disease is healed in the leprous person, the priest shall, and then it goes on to describe. Let me just run through what the priest would do when he found this leprous person who'd been healed. Please, stay with me, okay? So when the, when the priest finds this leprous person who'd been healed, here's what he had to do. I'll, make, I'll give you the nine-item list. The priest will meet the person outside the city. This is, all, this is all cataloged in Leviticus chapter 14. Let me just walk through it for you. The, pers- the priest meets the person outside the city and evaluates the case. If it's determined that they were healed, that he'll have two live birds, a piece of cedar wood, a piece of scarlet cloth, cloth, and a hyssop. So he comes out with two birds. He kills one bird. He sprinkles the blood on the person seven times. The other bird is released. This symbolizes the person is released from their disease and cleansed from the uncleanliness of it. They can now enter the city, but they must remain outside of their home for seven days. On the eighth day, there'll be a ceremonial cleansing of the full body. At that point, two lambs are sacrificed. Blood is placed on the right ear, the right thumb, and the right big toe. This satisfies this this desire to have sanctified hearing, acting, and walking. They'll then be anointed with oil. All clothing is burned. The house is cleansed in an amazing way. A few days later, they go back and the priest goes back into the house. If any trace of any leprous skin is found, the house is burned and the remains are carried outside the city. That's what you do, according to Leviticus 14, when a leper's been healed. Now, this was written like 1400 B.C. In all of biblical history, through your whole Old Testament, not one time is a leper healed. 
Not, not a Jewish leper. Not a Hebrew leper. You have Naaman, the Gentile, who was, who was healed by Elijah. And he was sent on his way. But think about this. For 1,400 years, the priest had this passage. They studied it. They knew it. They knew what to do. And it never, ever happened. Until a carpenter from Galilee showed up. Deuteronomy 18, 15. Got it here. I want to read it to you. Deuteronomy 18, 15. Can't locate it right now. We'll turn to it. Look what it says here. Deuteronomy 18, 15. For 1,400 years, never happened. Deuteronomy 18, 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Do you see what's happening here? God in his grace had told the Jewish people, when I come, when I come, I will do the unthinkable. I will do the impossible. I will heal this leper. I will bring healing to a disease that is unknown among your people. Oh, there was one case when Miriam was leprous like snow and Moses healed her on the spot. But no leper, no leper in all the biblical history had ever been healed until Jesus showed up on the scene. So back to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. These 10 lepers cry out, Oh, Jesus, Master, heal us. Have mercy on us. Why did they say that? Why did they cry out that maybe he might have mercy on them? Because just prior to this, Jesus had healed another leper. In Mark chapter 1, we see Jesus healing a leper. And he says to the leper, don't tell anybody, just go to the priest. Go to the priest. Why did he send him to the priest? Why did Jesus send the leper, the healed leper, to the priest? He sent him to the priest so the priest would say, this is the one. This is the one. Here he is. A leper's been cleansed. Get the birds, get the lambs. We'll do the whole blood thing. Here it is. This is the moment. But Mark 1.45 says that the man didn't go to the priest. You know what he did? He told everybody. He went through the streets and said, I've been healed. I've been healed. And now here we are. Probably at least a year after Mark chapter 1. And Jesus crosses west to east through the Samaria, a Galilee region, and there's 10 lepers who heard the news. Christ is here. The Messiah is here. And he heals lepers. He heals lepers. They didn't cry out, Rabbi, heal us. 
Last week in Luke chapter 7, that's what the Pharisee called Jesus, rabbi. In Luke, when you see somebody calling Jesus teacher or rabbi, most often it's a skeptic who says, oh, teacher, let me ask you a question. But these lepers cry out and say, Master, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. There was mercy requested, and notice what happens. He says, Go and show yourselves to the priest. Do you see what Jesus is doing? Do you see it? He's calling out to his people. He's calling out to the people that should recognize him. He's calling out to the Jewish people and saying, I'm the Christ. I'm Messiah. Recognize who I am. And as they went, they were cleansed. We could take time and talk about how they obeyed And as they went, they were cleansed. And there's certainly some truth to that. But I don't think that's really what Luke here is teaching. I don't think Luke is teaching how to be healed. I don't think Luke is teaching us, you know, if if you've got a sore back or an ongoing migraine, a headache or cancer or something like that, just obey God and he'll heal you. That's That's not what Luke is trying to teach us here. It's not a prescription for how to manipulate God to heal you. That's not what this is. This is, a, this is an account revealing to us who the Christ is and how we are to respond to him. In this case, Jesus healed all ten. Miraculously, they're all healed. As they went, they were cleansed. You know, one of them's going to come back. We'd like to think that the other nine, maybe it came back, you know, Maybe they had leprosy and, and they didn't go back and say thanks. And so God went and zapped them and now they were leprous. I mean, that's how I'd do it. That's how you'd do it, right? You don't say thank you to me. Well, I'm taking away your meal, kid. That's just the way it is. Thank me for the, thank me for the car keys or you're not using the vehicle tonight. Man, I'm glad we aren't God. Even when we're faithless, he is faithful. In his mercy, God was good to people who didn't even want him. I'm reminded of Romans chapter 3 where it says, God's kindness leads us to repentance. We want to believe it's his judgment. We want to believe it's horrible, scary tales about hell. And certainly we should teach that. And certainly... Some of us respond to the gospel over the fear of the judgment of God, and that's good and proper. But if that's all we know, if all we know is the wrath of God, we don't know God. When God described himself, he said he was full of compassion and full of mercy and long-suffering and patient. And Jesus reveals that here. But that's not where the account ends. Verse 15. Then one of them, 
when he saw that he was healed, turned back. He didn't just turn back to say thanks. I mean, that's what we expect. That's what we tell our children. Go back there and say thank you. But that's not what he did. He turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. This is an expression of worship. This is an expression of thankfulness. This is an expression of giving glory to God. This is a man who's been forgiven. He's been more than cleansed, and Jesus is going to make that very, very clear. He's been more than cleansed. Listen, they were all cleansed, but only one came back praising Jesus as God and worshiping at his feet. Only one came back in that way. And he's identified. And when you understand the remaining sort of nine verses of this passage, you understand why he is identified as a Samaritan. What's Luke trying to say? I mean, that just seems so random. It just seems so out of place, right? It's like, what, didn't the editor remove that? I mean, why why is that even there? There was no editor, okay? That's a poor attempt at humor. Now, he was a Samaritan is a very important phrase. It indicates to me that the other nine must not have been because the contrast is being laid here. And they go back to the priest. The priest should realize who this is, but the one who shouldn't recognize does. (laughs) The ones that should see this is the Christ are clueless. And the one that should reject him, who shouldn't really care of what happened here, bows at his feet. This is the gospel, folks. This is the God, this is the good news. You're not saved because you were ready. You're not saved because you had potential. You're not saved because you come from a good family or a godly family or a good church or a godly church. You're saved because God reaches down into your dead heart and awakens you, generates you, brings you alive. This Samaritan had no business knowing who this was. Had no business knowing who this is. Had no business recognizing him as God. Not humanly speaking, but God did a work in his heart. That's where eternal thankfulness is preserved. Knowing you were dead, true thankfulness awakened. But then, understanding an unmerited gift. I don't deserve this. I should never have gotten it. I never should have understood it. But I've been given grace. And now it's preserved into all of eternity. True thankfulness. Jesus asked several rhetorical questions. 
we're not ten cleansed. He's making the point. To who? I believe to the Samaritan. That's his audience now. It's the Samaritan. It's not the disciples. It's not you and me. It's the Samaritan. That's his love. That's the goodness of God. He says to the Samaritan, I believe, he looks at him and says, we're not ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? Who else knows the answer to that question other than the Samaritan? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God? Now he looks at all those who are listening and says, except this foreigner. Why does Jesus say that? Because that's what they call him. That's what the crowds would call him. What's Jesus call him? What's Jesus call him? That's pretty simple. He calls him a child of God. He gave him the right to be called a child of God. Why? Because he said to him, verse 19, Rise and go your way. Your faith has saved you. You know, one day you're going to meet that guy. If you're in Christ, I, I believe that we could meet this man in heaven. He'll be there one day. He's at the throne room of God for all of eternity. Praising God. This has continued for him. Praising God with a loud voice falling at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. That's eternity, folks. It's a beautiful story of thankfulness, of glory, of forgiveness. Let's close out with a couple thoughts here. First of all, just wrapping up thankfulness. Listen, you should thank God for things He has provided to you. You should. You should thank God for things He has provided for you. This is good. It's good. But it won't last. If all you thank God for are the things, what if they're taken away? It's good, but it won't last. You should thank God for the people He's placed in your life. Listen, that's better. That's better. But they don't always last. People come and go. It's just reality. It's a sad reality sometimes. Sometimes it's a good reality. But people don't always last in your life. So you should thank God for people. But that's, that's a better thing than things. But here's the call for today. We should thank God for what He has completed in our lives. What He has done in our lives. In your life, what He has done. This is the best thing. It's the best thing. And it will last for all time. It will last for all circumstances. It will last for all people. 
It's the only way this verse makes sense. Listen to 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Hear the word of God and see how the only way that this makes sense is when you and I are eternally thanking God for unmerited grace. The Spirit of God says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. Wow. The things are gone. I can thank God for what He's done. The people leave me. The people abandon me. The people leave me all alone. I'm lonely by myself. I've got no one to hold, no one to talk to, no one to comfort me. I can thank God for what he's done in all circumstances. This is impossible without the preservation of thankfulness found in unmerited grace given. Let's thank the Lord together. Lord Jesus, we thank you today. We thank you for your grace. Father, we thank you for the things you've given us. You've been good to us. We don't want to forget like the nine. They forgot, apparently. We don't want to forget. We thank you for the things that you've given us. Father, we thank you for the people you've placed in our lives. Oh, they're blessings. They, they can point us to you. Whether they do us good or harm, they remind us of you. So we thank you for them. Lord, you use these things and these people to conform us to your image. So we thank you for them. But most of all, Lord, we want to remember you. You who have redeemed our life from the pit. You who have crowned us with steadfast love and mercy. You that satisfied your own wrath through your Son. Thank you, Lord, for the new life you've given us, for the salvation we have received. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.